Hi, everyone. Welcome to the third episode of By the Drip. This podcast is about coffee, entrepreneurship, and the people we meet through the amazing story of coffee. I'm your host, David Crosby, founder and CEO of Rosso Coffee Roasters. Today's guest is Jen and Wes Farnell, the founders of 8-Ounce Coffee. In today's podcast, we talk about the origin story of 8-Ounce, handling the transition from a 9-to-5 job to entrepreneurship, what advice they would have given themselves 10 years ago when they were starting out, how they have dealt with COVID-19, the challenges of business ownership, advice for coffee pros, being intentional with the retail aspects of their cafe, work-life balance as married partners, business owners, and parents, and we end on the future endeavors of Jen and Wes. It was a great conversation, and I hope you enjoy it too. Jen, Hi. Wes, hey. thanks for joining me. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having us. You guys are the founders of 8-Ounce Coffee. Mm-hmm. Please tell me about the origin story and how it all started. Well, okay, this goes back 10 years. Fun fact, this month is our 10-year anniversary. Oh, wow. Yeah, so October 24th of 2011, we incorporated 8-Ounce Coffee, which uh, was supposed to be a cafe. So we had just moved back from England, where I met Wes, and we had our first baby. Um, I was on maternity leave from the BBC in London, and Wes had just left his job at Barclays. We came back to Calgary, where my parents are and where I'm from, and a brand new baby. And we were, we knew we didn't want to go back into the corporate life. We knew we probably wanted to do something in coffee. We didn't know what yet. Wes's dream was to open a cafe. Uh, So we incorporated 8-Ounce Coffee, which I'm still not sold on the name, but... (laughs) <laughs> no, but I mean, the, the reason was that we were going to, we were going to be really pretentious and we weren't going to serve anything mm-hmm. over an eight ounce drink. Yes. Um, which you should yeah. try, Dave. Mm. Uh, yeah. But, we, <laughs> but yeah, we, so I mean, that was the driving reason behind the name and it, and it was sort of a working title that, that just stuck in the end. Yeah. yeah. It was because one of our favorite cafes in London was Proof Rock and they had their drink sizes on the counter and it was two, four, six, eight. The largest drink they did was eight ounce. So that was kind of a nod to specialty coffee, small quality drinks. So, so why not open the cafe? What, what happened? Well, we had a baby. We realized very quickly that that would not be the right lifestyle for us. As I'm sure, you know, Dave, from Maybe. Roughly 10 years ago when you were the only one behind the counter. <laughs> Which we remember. <laughs> Try doing that with a baby, you know, so you can't, you know, if you have staff who don't show up at 6 a.m. to open the doors, you've got to drop what you're doing and go. If somebody isn't, you know, you've got to close up late at night. It just wasn't, it just didn't sound like the kind of thing that was going to work for us. Wes got a job shortly after we moved here, started working at Fratello Coffee Roasters. And was working for them, managing a couple of their cafes, one of the farmer's market. And that was kind of a means to an end to kind of learn more about running a cafe and so that we could open ours up in a year or so. And at the meantime, I was on maternity leave and we had known that in London, a lot of our favorite specialty cafes had really strong retail offerings. So everywhere you went, you could buy a Porlex grinder, you could buy a Hario V60, you could buy Keep Cups, and there was all these exciting products that were over there, and we just weren't seeing them here. There's a lot of Bodum and 
that kind of generic stuff that you can buy at a department store, but there wasn't really these small niche products. And we knew why. It's, you know, Canada's a big country. It's not close to Asia. It's not easy to access a lot of these products. And for a small independent cafe, it's not feasible to order cases and cases of cube cups from the other side of the world and you don't know whether they're going to sell or not. So that's kind of how this whole thing started. Yeah, I mean, a fundamental part of that is why we saw all these things in cafes. We weren't just like loitering around cafes for... Yeah, we were. For, yeah, we were actually. Yeah. It was, <laughs> it was my, my hobby. So coffee was my hobby. Uh, like specialty coffee was my hobby. So we, um, we would, you know, just that's what we did. And it was a great way to, like any city, I think anyone who likes specialty coffee and ends up traveling, it's a great way to travel. Right? You look where the best cafes are and mm-hmm. you go there and you visit. And so that was sort of... I think that whole lifestyle, that that cosmopolitan lifestyle, you you know, you felt better, especially for someone like me who came from the Midlands in in the UK. You know, that really wasn't a lot of good coffee shops around there, or anything cosmopolitan for that matter. But um, but it was it was definitely something that that attracted me, and I liked the experience. I liked the the product um and yeah it was it was fun and it was also quite a small community and so we in london at the time it was when coffee was really specialty coffee scene was really kicking off and yeah we got to know a lot of those people and and it was just a really cool community of people yeah um so yeah then we i'd also had history working cafes before so i used to work for starbucks for many years i used to troubleshoot and open new stores for them over the uk and so I had that experience already. Uh, lived in airports for months on end, trying to sort out their operational challenges. But that's a that's a story for another time. Uh, but yeah, so we it was really just something that we we saw all these these opportunities out there. And and Jen, who was off at the time, and I was trying to earn a little bit of money, but more so just get exper- more experience in the coffee industry in Can- Canada and get to know people. And so you know, Jen had this really strong skill set, which led to us being able to get online very quickly and, and initially retail products. And I mean, Jen can tell you a little more about her history, which helped us with that. Maybe quickly distill it down for us. What exactly you guys do? What- so eight ounce imports coffee equipment from all over the world. Um, it started off just with brewing equipment. It's a lot more vast now, but uh, so our customers are, independently owned cafes, roasteries, the specialty coffee scene. And then we also sell to a lot of hotels, restaurants, department stores, lifestyle, kitchen stores, all across Canada mostly and a lot into the U.S. as well. Okay, so that's our baseline. Hmm? So go back. I I rudely interrupted you. So go back to what you were going to say. What was I going to say? You were going to say, I mean, one of the things that we could, the reason we could act on this pretty quickly and well was because of your skill set and your history, which was... right. So my background is in computer programming, website development. I've done that since 1994, when a lot of people didn't HTML. know what the internet was. Yeah, it <laughs> was just—it was so long people. ago. It was just H then. Yeah, it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, been a very long time that I've been doing it. So that's uh, mostly what I was doing when I was at the BBC. I initially started there on their web team. Uh, building their a lot of different websites for them and uh, on a pretty large team. And then I'm my last kind of year and a half of working there, I moved into the food team side of it. 
So that was running the website and the channel of the good food. Um, so it was a lot of like hanging out on kitchen sets with celebrity chefs and rewriting people's recipes and putting them online and things like that. So that was really cool. But that meant that when we started 8 Ounce, it was absolutely no problem to just, this is pre-Shopify days, right. to just set up a website, build it. I built it all in Cold Fusion, all of the cart and the shopping and the, all the different categories and everything like that. We were able to get up and running really quickly. Yeah. The other thing that we did, I mean, we had initially, what did we have? We had Keep Cup. Aeropress, Porlex. Yeah. That was our main product offering at that time. Uh, so we got a grinder. Yeah. Porlex is a grinder. Aeropress is a brewer. Brewer, yeah. Reusable cups. cups. Or reusable cups. Yeah. So it wasn't, it wasn't a lot, but to start a website, I wanted it to make it look like we were a lot bigger than we really were. So we ordered from a company in the U.S. that did kind of coffee barware supplies. I ordered two of whole bunch of different things so that we could just put up all these oh, different products on our website and of course on that note as well that's if anyone uses or remembers boomerang yeah we would work to make us to, to continue this appearance of we're not just two people working from a townhouse um it was definitely we, we would schedule emails so we'd be working at night late at night oh, yeah. and then we'd schedule them to go at different times of the day so it wasn't obvious so it that we like were working we were. in the middle <laughs> yeah. of the night yeah. Uh, to try and just keep up That's with everything. That's sneaky. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Made us look legit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so was there a moment pre, you know, starting 8-Ounce that you walked into all these cafes in Calgary and noticed like, oh, the retail offering and... Well, yeah. I mean, I think there was there was a few things that that led us to 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 where we ended up. And, you know, we, we'd obviously spent some time in, in Calgary before. Jen is from Calgary originally, so... We'd, we weren't we weren't unaware of what was going on here, and you know, to this day, I think Calgary is one of the strongest coffee cities, coffee cities in Canada, uh, per, in North America per capita. Yeah, you know, you've got the, all these you know got these significantly multiple significant significantly sized specialty coffee chains supported by what 1.3 million people. You just don't see that anywhere else. I mean, you'll have traveled a lot, Dave, so you'll you'll know that. I, right? I, yeah, I'd agree. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, we, we'd look around and we'd see maybe one or two things on a shelf somewhere. And it's, well, there's a better opportunity than that. Who's servicing it? And then, as Jen alluded to earlier, there'd be people, yeah, there'd be people who were trying to do this, but off the side of a table. And, you know, they were trying to bring things in, but maybe didn't have the cash flow or didn't have the time. We didn't want to deal or with didn't all have the, the connections and import or, or, So, oh, yeah, there yeah, was. It's hard. So we we did we we saw that there were things on the on the people's shelves, but not a lot, um, and we saw that there was significant parts, significant items that were missing, and of course, from when we were going through all of our financial planning for the for, for when we were going to do cafes initially, uh, one of the major streams of income was going to be retail, and so we 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 knew it was it's a challenge to run a cafe and to, you know to make a a good living off that. And to pay people good wages, and so we wanted to facilitate that amongst the customers that we want, the people we wanted to be our customers. So just like Jen bought two of everything um, from a company to make us look bigger, you know, a, a cafe can't spend three hundred bucks with one supplier and five hundred bucks with another supplier, and, and you know, yeah. ad infinitum to get lots of different products on the shelf. So one of our, you know 
founding ideas that people would be able to get everything they needed in one place but they could have one of everything if they wanted to yeah, they could have a, have a good retail offering and, and so it was really about trying to help the community that we that we sort of fallen in love with be able to grow and be better and so that was really one of the main uh, the main uh, drivers of starting the business so looking back 10 years ago you know you're working full-time you're at home also working full time because working, having a baby is wow. Oh wow! Okay, yeah. but although I did most of the looking after, I was going to say uh, yeah. it's true. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you you start going to you know you're doing five days a week, you go to four days a week, three days a week. That's exactly you, what he did. Yeah. How do you make that transition? Is it a revenue <laughs> number? Was it? <laughs> uh, was, <laughs> was it a feeling? Like how how does someone who's got a you know a small business or a passion at home? make that transition themselves. We knew exactly how much we needed to sell in a day to pay for the fact that Wes wasn't working. Mm. So we knew- I like, should ask that number, shouldn't I? Can't no, we no, even I'm remember joking. what I'm that joking. number I'm was. Joking. Oh no, like it was, I don't it was remember. Uh, you know, like two bucks an hour. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 10 years ago. But, <laughs> but yeah, every day, if you know, we'd get an order here and an order there, and then we always had this saying that we'd say, and it might be 11 o'clock in the morning and it might be five o'clock in the afternoon, but we'd say, paid for the day. And every day, it was, oh, today we didn't pay for the day. Like we had, to, we had to know that our profit was at least covering what he could have been working mm. hourly behind the bar. So it wasn't very much, but it was like, we knew at least that it was sustainable if we could at least do that. And that gave us the confidence for, like you say, for him to be able to move from five days a week to four to three. Uh, I think it's, it's, there, was, there was a definite tipping point, and Jem would have had, probably had it happen sooner. Mm -hmm. But you know, I, was, I wanted to make sure that we didn't do it and then go, oh, shit, we've got to pay the bills. Right. right? And we, what are we going to do? And so it was, there, was a, there was a tipping point. And you know, I, I think because we st it's worth contextualizing that we started doing, it was starting with retail, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, so we were, we were doing wholesale in the beginning. Yeah. And so there was a couple of people importing some of the product lines and we would be buying from them. And then, you know, we, we knew that wholesale would be a part of that plan. Um, but it definitely, when, when was it that we switched to doing, doing wholesale? Well, it was a few months in because we had started talking with Keep Cup and they were in their very early days of having distributors. So this was all really new to them as well. And so, we did have a conversation with them a few months in. We were selling cupcake cup. Cupcakes. <laughs> we were selling keep cups directly to people in Calgary and online on our website. And it became enough that we could have that conversation and say, you know what might sell more keep cups is if they're on the shelves of cafes in Canada and we can do that for you. Because at that point, coffee community was so small in Canada. We knew everybody here. We knew you guys. We knew, you know, Nils at Parlor and, you know, George at Revolver. And it was such a small community that we knew we could get keep cups on the shelves of all these places across Canada and sell more keep cups. And, yeah, and we knew they were, a great, they were a great product, right? Yeah. And, and, and still, a, sort of, I'd argue, the best of that style of product. But we knew that we could, we knew it was a great product to move. And... And it was a more generic product as well. It wasn't just those people who just want to grind coffee, which is, isn't a large amount of people right. who really want to do that by hand. But we knew that with Keep Cups, it would give us more traction, more visibility. 
And so the, I think the other thing that made a big, which is worth noting, the thing that made a big difference as this is talking about business is that we, because we'd worked in other areas as well. So I worked in lots of different jobs. My last one was working in, in strategy for Barclays Bank. And of course, Jen was working at the BBC, but we'd had a lot of different jobs and a lot of different experience. So when it was, when it came to dealing with these companies, we, we'd, worked in the corporate world and in the business world so we were we i think we could approach in a better way that, than other people were trying mm-hmm. especially for the asian companies you know if you're looking at uh, uh, you know japan particularly you've got to approach in a certain way and and fundamentally one of the reasons we got Paulx distribution not just in canada but in the us and in the uk to start with uh, was because and uae saudi arabia as well was because we knew how to deal with that style of Japanese company. And so we built up some really good relationships. And again, one of the foundations was having great relationships with not just customers, but our suppliers and everyone we work with. And so that really get, that was really something that was essential to our growth. And I think, you know, as this is a type of podcast, it's this, I think you've got to go out and research who you're dealing with, not just, not just customers, but every part of that, that supply chain, every part of that, everyone you're you're dealing with every day and so that's uh that 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 was a big advantage for us as well as being no doubt right place right time oh yeah so was there a a way that you guys kind of assessed how to bring in a new product it or can you frame back like 10 years and look like oh how did we bring in a product then versus how you bring in a product now 10 years ago it was definitely because we'd seen it in london because we'd just been living there and you know trends happen in huge cosmopolitan cities before they trickle down to medium-sized cities. And so we kind of could predict what was coming by looking at that market. After that, I think a lot of it was just, a lot of it's through social media, a lot of it's through trade shows and just relationships that we have with people. We, we have good relationships with a lot of business owners around the world who own companies similar to 8-Ounce Coffee who are distributing in their own countries. So we kind of share different products that are coming out we're also approached a lot of the time by which we didn't used to be, which is nice to have people. Would you like to try this out? Sure. Where we used to have to beg before Mm -hmm. to try something Mm -hmm. and convince people, but that's part of it, right? You've got to, you've got to hustle and got to earn it. Build those relationships and ask those questions. But everything we bring in, like we, you're, I'm not, but you're a huge coffee nerd. We have a lot of coffee nerds that work for us. People who genuinely get excited because there's some upgraded burr on a grinder people who are super excited about this stuff. So we have products that come in all the time that we get to test. And so we, the people that we are targeting, that we sell to, those kind of people also work for us as well. So if somebody, you know, like David Kim works for us, if he's excited about a product, we know our customers are going to be excited about that product too. So going back to maybe at the very start, when you, you're starting to go four days, three days a week, ultimately, you know, how do, how do you get, is it enough revenue that you go back you know, you ditched the job. Well, it, it was definitely a point where I think, again, it was more me being comfortable with doing that. And it was probably 14 months in and, you know, we'd, we'd had more and more, you know, we, we'd have, I'd get back from work. I'd fill the car up with all the orders for the day. And I'd that drive. I'd been putting so you, in boxes yeah, while I, holding a baby on one hip and trying to tape yeah. up a box. The other and then I'd drive <laughs> them to a regular post office yeah. and park outside with my, my hazards on, my, my emergency lights on, and then be emptying 
in and out. And eventually the people inside would be giving me their, their, Trolley. their trolleys Trolley. to bring them in. And then eventually they'd just let me leave them there and they'd process them later. <laughs> yeah. And then we had vans starting With to come With a UPS to the truck house. back up onto our driveway every afternoon. Yeah, so it was... Nancy was the driver. She yeah, was, she was great. She was great. Um, <laughs> she'd, let, she'd let Morgan get on the UPS bus and pretend to drive it. Yeah. And but, she'd, yeah, she'd come by every single day and back up, beep, beep, it, onto the it, it was, I, I guess the, driveway. The point of all that was, the point of that story is that we, it just got to that point where there was, we, we knew we were getting, you know, paying for the day every day. Mm-hmm. And we knew that we could do a lot more. I mean, I used to drive around, I don't know if you remember this, but I, w- I would used to drive around and sell things out of the back of the car. Yeah. We yeah. still have customers who come in and say, Mr. Bice, about the back of your car. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you did. yeah, because that's that's what you do, right? I mean, you've you've hustled that much yourself. In your yeah, way. it's hand to hand combat. Like sales it. sales is yeah. uh, a unique. Wes is a great salesman. <laughs> I don't sell things. Uh, I just position it in the right, right. way for people who <laughs> right. want it. Right, that's what the sales guy says. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to be happy giving me money. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, it, so yeah, it was it was that point where. We were paying for the day every day. Mm-hmm. And and more because the days that you were not working somewhere else and you were working on eight ounce more than paid for it. It, yeah. it meant much more increased revenue because you were there yeah. hustling, doing things. So, yeah, that's really when we, that, that's what made that decision. And, and we did have that figure. And I can't remember what it was. It was like 200 and maybe 250 bucks a day or something. I, don't I know. can't even remember. Maybe less than Oh, that. wow. Less than that. I, I don't know. It was yeah. tight. It was... It was. It wasn't a large amount. But it was enough to pay for the products. And Buy the, some more the products box and the tape, and have a little bit left over. Yeah. So if you could go back in time to yourself ten years ago, tap yourself on the shoulder, what piece of advice would you either give to each other or, or to yourself? I think. I think we hindered our growth a little bit in the early days by being a bit scared to let go and to jump in fully. We didn't quite believe that it was actually gonna last or that it was going to work out so i think we left it way too long before we actually rented a warehouse location we had nine like lockups storage oh, wow. lockers nine yeah. storage lockers before we moved into our first space yeah because right. they were month to month so it was no commitment and then we had our friend owen who had been a barista at phil and sebastian and was looking for some hours just doing whatever and we had him come into our basement and pack boxes all day and then load them onto the UPS truck at the end of the day in our garage. And so it's those kind of things that like we weren't quite ready to commit, but it was obviously growing and it was obviously taking off and it was obviously something that was going to work. But we were scared to really say, okay, let's sign a five-year lease and do this. And it's just, it's a pretty scary thing to do, right? Yes. We, we knew that, yeah, we knew that it was going well, but it's, yeah, when you sign on that line, you can't just walk away the following month. So, yeah. so the advice would be? We should have dived in quicker, I think. We should have, like hiring the first person that we hired to actually help with answering the phones and doing all that stuff, we probably could have but done that, that a that's lot That's a sooner. consistent piece of advice. So like yeah, hire sooner. Hire sooner. Yeah, wait, wait, because the time that you can then focus on the business is mm-hmm. worth so much more. Mm-hmm. You, know, you you can actually grow your business. You can add revenue. You can add value. You get someone to do those those things that you don't need to be doing every day. You know, yeah. you, you don't need to be taping boxes up after a certain amount of time. Yeah, 
answering but the phones. Or but you've got to have the conviction that you've have you've got enough business to you know pay for that person as well because it's it's a commitment to that individual. Mm-hmm. But higher higher sooner mm-hmm. always. I don't know what your year over year growth is, but it's been pretty phenomenal watching. Yeah, I think that, we just had our year end a few days ago, and we were at eighty two percent year on year growth. Yeah, it's yeah, it's kind of crazy. But average is around. Uh, 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 Average would be higher, but yeah, I guess our where it sits after the first maybe three, four years when you get more, you know, that startup level of growth, we average it around that 30%. Yeah, plus 35 to 40%. How do you guys manage or handle that growth? I guess maybe in the first three or four years versus yeah. your seasoned veterans now, and <laughs> growth probably means something different than it once used to mean. In the beginning, it's so scary because your like, cash flow is the biggest problem when you're growing and it's because people are buying everything so you've got to buy more of it from your supplier but you know you've got to buy twice as much as you bought last time but you can't afford to buy twice as much yet and then you've got to pay for it before they'll even pack it up and ship it from Japan and then you've got to wait for it to arrive and then you've got to sell it before you can even start getting that money back so yeah and and banks are not too delighted to give credit to small unknown startups as we all know atb i think was a little more lenient than the big banks probably would have been and was there a way you you managed it in the beginning just organic growth like we didn't i mean we had to we had to balance it out we couldn't buy everything we wanted we couldn't do everything we wanted Mm -hmm. but we knew we were never going to take external money apart from you know borrow a line of credit you know but we never wanted to but we we never wanted to have that uh, and so it was, it was just, we had to be nimble. We had to have a lot more orders, a lot more regular orders than we would normally have because then you'd like to have, you know, because that's what we could afford to buy at one time. It's just having to be super tight with your money so yeah. that you can afford to keep buying products to sell. Mm-hmm. It was, yeah, we just didn't have a lot of extra money, which felt weird when you know your company is growing and you're doing so well and the orders are coming in and it's double what it was last month and it's, amazing and then but you just you have to be so tight with your money so you can afford to keep growing how about growth now growth now it's a little more easy i think you know we're we obviously have a much better line of credit than we used to uh we've kind of built up reserves of cash so cash flow isn't as much of a problem as it used to be at all now it's more about predicting who we need to hire and trying to hire people before we need them Things like, I mean, one of our biggest problems has been warehouse space and storage. Signing a five-year lease on somewhere and then six months later realizing you've outgrown it again and having to keep managing that. We just recently moved out of, so we had we had a warehouse that we took the space in probably 2013. Just, just like literally a minute from here. Yeah, just a minute away from here. And then Rosso, you guys became our neighbors. A couple right. doors down. Yeah. A few years into our lease there. And how big was that space? That was 2,200 yeah. square foot, something like that. Which seemed huge when we were coming out of our townhouse. Yeah, I have, to, I have to tell the story. Five, I have, 500 square feet yeah, to 2,000. You know, yeah. I've, I've, I've really got to tell the story. So Jen's, Jen's dad, whom I love, um, we, he came into the space when, we'd, uh, when, when we first signed the lease. And being the eternal optimist that he is <laughs> walked in and said 
God, Jennifer, why did you get somewhere so big? You'll you'll never need this. What have you done? You're never gonna fill it. Never gonna fill it. Oh no. And then six months later six months? No, six, six weeks, weeks later. Six weeks later walks in and it's God damn, Jennifer, why did you buy somewhere so small? You, you never you <laughs> need to be bigger straight away. <laughs> so it's too small. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, was, <laughs> but that uh, was pretty accurate because It was. It was it was yeah. Yeah, because every time we ordered, you know, another Hario order, another keep cup order, it was double what the last one was yeah. just to try but and we keep were up on, with demand. We so were only we were there for, space. in the end, for what? 18 months? Less than that. Yeah. It was less than that. Because after six months, we realized that we didn't have enough space, so we started looking for somewhere. And then we moved to the next space, which was... 10,000. Just shy of 10,000 square foot, yeah. Yeah. And that lasted us a bit longer. Yeah, but we after, were there for the full five years. But like years. after two and a half years, we, we were we were, we were jammed. Bursting, we were struggling, yeah. but we, you know, we were in a position, so we tried to make it work best we could. And then we moved into our current space in February, as, as Jen mm-hmm. mentioned, and that's... 22,000? That's more than that. I can't remember. It's about 25. 24, 25. Wow. But it's then, beautiful. Yeah. The front area is beautiful. It is. Thanks, but yeah. then we're out of space now as well. Yeah. Um. But I mean, we knew we would be in this case, but it was, the, the, you've seen the space and then the location is, there's too many good things about it not to take it. So we're looking to expand there now. It's constant and it's that balance between how much space do you want? We, we want to be in a city. We want to be in a place where people want to come to work and be there. And we want mm-hmm. to be accessible to customers because we have a retail element to the business as well. Um, but, you know, you don't want to have so much space in the center because it's obviously more, more expensive. And also, you know, it just takes longer to pick things. So it's you know, a, lot, a lot of logistical and strategic work around that required to make it work optimally. But it's, it's a great place to be. So we're in, we're, in a, we're in a good spot, but we need more space. Yeah. By the Drip is sponsored by Rosso Coffee Roasters. You can check out the Home Coffee Plan subscription on the website, rosocoffeeroasters.com. This week's coffee subscription is a new, fun, light, and bright blend we call Day Tripper. It's a blend of two coffees. The first is an amazing coffee from Guatemala from a producer named Zuela Aguilera. She is a very sweet and hardworking person. The second coffee is from an amazing farm in Veracruz, Mexico called La Joya. The super innovative Samuel Ronzon is the producer of this coffee and happens to be on the podcast next week. I'm drinking some right now, and it tastes like juicy fruit and sweet honey. It's super delicious. Sign up and enjoy sipping on some Day Tripper while listening to my chat with Jen and Wes from 8 Ounce Coffee. COVID-19 obviously has taken over all of our lives for the last, whatever, 18 months. Sure has. How have you guys dealt with it in your business? In the sense of, you know, you got supply chain issues, you know, you got the website, I imagine things kind of went crazy on that. Yeah. Why don't you talk to us about that? That was, uh, that was, I mean, for everyone, obviously it was really scary in the first few weeks. We just, nobody knew what was going to happen. Everyone was in the same boat. Nobody knew what was going to happen. Our sales went to almost zero overnight when the lockdown started and it was very scary. We started kind of putting the wheels into motion of having to temporarily lay staff off. You know, everyone can relate. It was an awful time. We, it was probably a few weeks into it when the government started announcing the wage subsidies. 
And that's when things started to really turn around because I think people realized I'm at home, but I'm still safe. I can still spend money. I can still pay my rent. Everything's going to be fine. So that was when we saw the online really start to pick up. It's like the home brewing revolution went on. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. So people are working from home. They can't go into their cafe now. So they're going to start brewing at home. So that really kicked off. And then we saw shortly after that, our wholesale customers as well, were obviously experiencing the same thing on their end and they were struggling to keep up with demand on their websites, which is great. And we saw a really big divide between our wholesale customers, you know, cafes and roasteries that already had an online presence and were already selling coffee gear. They were overnight, they started to pick up and they started to kind of be okay. Whereas a lot of the really small independent cafes that just have a one page website, weren't selling anything. They were really struggling. So what we decided to do at that point, we started to realize, okay, we're probably in a better position than a lot of our customers. So how can we help our wholesale customers so that they can survive as well? So we started something we'd never done before. We started buying our customers coffee to sell on our website. We'd never sold coffee beans on our website other than once in a while when we bring in something from Europe and just have a limited amount of it. But it was something we never wanted to get into because we didn't want to compete with our customers who a lot of them are roasteries. We didn't want to do that. We didn't want to pick favorites. But at this point, we thought this is some way that, you know, a lot of cafes have had to close their doors and roasteries have had to close their doors. How can we help them generate a little bit of revenue during this time? Because we had such a good footprint online comparatively. Yeah. Yeah. This this national footprint, whereas most people don't. So we just started letting everyone from across Canada, all the roasteries started sending us their coffee from all over. And we had probably... At one point, we had almost 50 different roasters. No, we had more than We had like close to 60, 70 70, roasters. Yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot. And it was exciting. And we were getting notes and emails from really small companies that said like, this has made such a big impact. Thank you for doing this. So it was something that we could actually do. Just just to note, we we didn't take any profit from that. All that money went straight back. So we, we effectively, they sent us a coffee, we sold it. And when we sold it, we sent, we sent, sent them, them all the profit. 100% back. Yeah. Because it was, we didn't, we were, we were good. We knew we were okay. We knew whatever happened would be okay at that point, mm-hmm. but we knew a lot of other business businesses didn't just had no idea how it would go. Yeah. So that, that was great. It was fulfilling for us because we felt we could do yeah. something. I think for everyone working at eight ounce, we all felt like, you know, you feel so helpless during COVID. You don't know what you can do do and that was something that we could actually do to make a difference to help people i think that helped all of us mentally cope with it at the time how about manufacturing oh it's been awful it's been awful you know what so the only surprise i think to i'd say to us but but to me was that the worst part of logistics is 18 months in like it's now yeah, like the supply chain better. is worse than it's ever been. I thought that would be sort of six, six months, 12 months in, and then it would be getting yeah. back to back to some semblance of, of normality. But we actually coped for quite well for the first maybe six. Yeah, we coincidentally, months. we'd had a bunch of containers full of product land early March. Totally coincidentally. So at the it's beginning totally of planned. COVID, we, Entirely planned. <laughs> we thought like, well, this is great. We've got a few containers of stuff. We're going to be fine. And of course, it was when we started reordering things that we realized, you know. But 
even then it was is dependent it was dependent on supplier and people were pretty good at the start but as demand just increased and increased and increased and there was that cascade backwards down the chain you could see start things starting to get more and more difficult you know one manufacturer asked us to you know give projections every month and i just don't know Jeez. why we bothered because at the end of every month it was like well thanks for this but we can't send you anything we don't have any of it can't send you anything this yeah uh, yeah, that you know, the demand is increased so much that any extra capacity in the system was was taken up, and so the manufacturers just couldn't produce enough. And then when lockdowns in factories started to happen a lot more, then that obviously a knock on effect. And then you know now after you know twelve you know twelve eighteen months, we've now seen that the that's now started to hit the whole. Um, the whole logistics chain as well, not just the manufacturing side, which was happening, but then the, the, the delivery side as well. We had a 40-foot container sitting, and this is before it was at, it were, was at its worst. We had a 40-foot container sitting in Japan uh, start of January, and we didn't get it for over six months. We couldn't get it onto a boat. Oh, wow. Yeah. And now it's just getting worse. Yeah, for the first time a couple of, probably the first time a month and a half ago, we couldn't actually get a container, let alone get it on a ship. Yeah, like the actual sea can containers. There, there was just not any of them available. Yeah. Didn't put anything on. And, yeah. and the prices. And the price, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They talk about the price, you know, when you read some of the articles, like now the average price is six to seven thousand for a container. No. 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 And you'll know this yourself. It's like we used to spend what two and a half to four thousand bucks for a container and now it's yeah, anywhere to between 25, fifteen to twenty five, twenty six thousand dollars. Yeah. yeah. And that, that has to go somewhere, right? Yeah. And we we you absorb it for as long as you can, but it, some point you've got to yeah, pass it down you've got to pass it yeah. down but it's not i mean i i find it hard to believe that it's costing that much more oh, no, to, to ship to shake down. It's it not, is it's a, a shakedown shake you know this yeah. oh, it's someone's making a lot of money we're, off of we're trying to get coffee out of rwanda right now and they have no boats going to north america yeah and and it's it, yeah it's a nightmare yeah i don't know when it's going to end either well, that's the thing. I mean, it's getting progressively worse. You're not going to see, you're just not going to see anything get even slightly better until probably Q2 next year because everything's just ramping up now. Everything. Yeah. I, I think that's probably early too. And yeah. the prices won't go down because now they know that they can charge these kind of prices and it's, there's still that demand. The there's only time, no incentive to put the prices down. The only down time again. it will come down is when, when demand starts to drop and people start competing for space again, you know, competing to, 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 to get sell. To, to sell uh, and we know it's a shakedown because at the start of this as you might have experienced um it was you have three options you can just pay what you regularly pay to ship or you know slightly inflated and it'll get on a ship whenever it gets on a ship you can pay a thousand bucks extra and then you'll get priority over the those people if you pay 10 grand extra you get onto a ship all of a sudden there's a it's there's, there's a, a space yeah. how did that happen yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's like Something out of The Godfather, but it's, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so COVID's, for the most part, has been a pretty good accelerator mm -hmm. because of, I guess, home brewing yeah. and caf cafes. Has that side of the business come back? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's grown, like yeah. not just come back, it's grown massively. Oh, wow. Because, yeah, yeah our wholesale customers are also selling more retail than they were yeah. by far before COVID. And I, I think you noted before that um, that we had the the people who had a site already online were doing well. Well, I saw there was three tranches there. Really, there was this these people who were already set up and they were got a website, yeah. good to go. 
we're perfectly positioned for this. There were those people who were like, oh, wow, this is an issue. We've got to do something right now so we're prepared for this. And then you had that group who were like, I'm going to put my head in the sand for a while and hopefully all this will go away. And then it didn't, and then they had to act. Um, and so, yeah, we saw this, I think this reflected in our sales. You know, we had like these three different kicks in sales coming. But definitely COVID has been, from a sales perspective, really positive for us. And it could have been probably three times as positive if we got started. If we yeah, could have got if we stopped. could actually get product to sell. We would have, we would have no doubt been, you know, 250%, 300% up. I have no, no doubt about it oh. if we would have got stock. But we got everything we could. Even yeah. when people get mad at us for not having stock, it's like, we're, we're trying. We, can. we don't get up in the morning thinking, you to know what you I know. don't want to do today? I don't want to <laughs> sell anything sell today. I don't want to have any products on our site. No, we try so hard to get things. <laughs> uh, that is, that, that's what the focus of what we've been doing is over the past, yeah, over the past particularly 12 months. It's just been how do we get stock in? How do we find alternatives? How do we make sure there's something for people to buy and sell, right? Mm. So, but I think we've done, we've done a pretty good job. So you guys have a really unique perspective into cafes. And obviously at the very start, you wanted to open a cafe. You had a piece of advice or something you see that most operators or business owners could make either a change? From a, that lines up with, our, with what we do, I think that the retail stream is vastly underrated. And I think what's just happened over the past 18 months has shown that. Yes, there's been accelerants there, no doubt. But the fact that I think a lot of this can trans translate back to in-store as well. So, the, the, you know, you've got your online, you've got your in-store. But I think that one of the things that, that have, a, have a cohesive strategy for every stream of your business. You, you're not just selling coffee. You know, you've got the experience you're selling. You've got the products you're selling. You have the opportunity that, to sell every single thing in your cafe that someone touches. So give them an amazing experience and then let them take that experience home with them. But don't just do it on the coffee that you're brewing. Do on, on everything, all these associated things that you have in your, in, in your, uh, in your environment. And the, the other thing is no time in store is dedicated to retail, apart from, oh, we got some new stuff and put it on the shelf. It, it, it's always amazed me that uh, and in, in busy cafes, when you, at the busiest time, Every single person is on deck making drinks and getting things out. It's like, well, this is the best time to upsell other items to people. So have someone else out front, you know, sampling, talking about products, you know, introducing things, you know, just making people feel good and comfortable in the line, making sure that your shop, when you're setting it up, is, is set up so people can see the things that they're going to buy before they get to pay. The amount of places you go into and everything that people can actually buy and add on is after the till. So, you know, I mean, and sometimes you can't control that. That's down to design of place. But if you can, you know, there are lots of things you can do to bring things forward and, and make things center of people's, uh, people's um, thoughts while they're, while they're in, your, in your location. So those would be my things. I think a really good example of that is one of my favorite cafes is in Vernon, BC. And Andrew is the name of the guy who owns it. He's awesome. It's called Ratio. And it's a tiny one location in a not very big city. And he has the best retail shelf. It's right up at the front when you walk in. All of the things that are on the shelf, a lot of them are being used. Everything they use is for sale. It's just, it's, it's 
bright, it's clear, it's easy to see. And during the holiday season, he's not behind the bar. He's standing there showing people everything. And that tiny cafe in a small city buys more retail from us than like a seven location cafe in Toronto. I thought you were going to say Calgary. Calgary. Well, yeah. If you want to read he, it that way, mate, <laughs> then you go for it. We're only five now. We're only five now. Okay. We can do some consultancy if you want. It's fine. Uh, I'm getting, <laughs> trying to get free advice here. <laughs> but yeah, he, he puts a lot of time and effort into it because it's got great margin, those products for him. And it's bigger ticket items that he can sell and increase his revenue. And he just puts the time and the focus into it. And he does such a great job. Well, the other thing is, is it brings people in, not people are coming in to buy the equipment and then buying coffee. Yeah. So it's actually, you're hitting from both sides. So I think there's, you know, I, I think that going back to that cafe advice, it's plan the different streams of your business. You know, again, Andrew does it really well. He has yeah. days you know, he has different days of the week where one day is donuts and then he'll have like, you know, open later and do pizza and has a phenomenal business and it's tiny and it's in Vernon. <laughs> but it's Why would that happen? Yeah. Well, because, yeah, because of what he does, he's thought about every stream of the business and he's working on it. I think planning, yeah, plan out the different parts of your business, work out where you can have the wins and follow through and have someone to run it because you can't run all of those things either. Yeah. You know, you know, you know, it's like having a business, especially when you're small. It's like you, everything is done off the side of a table. And as you grow, we still, we still do that for certain things. And suddenly like, well, I've got to pass this off to someone because I might think I can do it better, but I can't do it better in 5% of my time than someone who can commit a much more significant percentage of their time to it. So when, when do you pass it off? When you know there's more important things you could be doing with your time. I have to have conversations with myself a lot because there's a lot of little fiddly things that I still do and I'm getting a lot better at passing them off. But I have to say to myself, you could be doing something that's actually driving the business and not, you know, rounding up a cent on this bank transaction that doesn't match up or resetting someone's password or all these kind of little things that I still do. I don't fix the printer anymore. That's a big win. For that's me. why it has been working for the past oh, four weeks. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't doubt True that story. One, I but but, but how, do you, how do you know you're working in the business or on it? You know what? I, I think it's pretty easy if you're honest. I think you just have to be able to take 10 minutes, step out, and just look at what you've been doing for the, yeah. for the last week, and you'll know pretty quickly. Yeah. That's not to say it's easy because it's not. That's why we're, we still deal with that now. And I'm, again, I'm sure you deal with that now. It's Part of it is having confidence that the person you're going to pass, it, pass that job off to is going to firstly do it and secondly do it well and so you know some some jobs it's easier to do that so I'd, I'd separate that it's easy to do that with say running being selling something in your showroom or in your cafe having someone out there. that's easier to do but passing over accounts to someone that's that takes a, takes a, a layer of trust. of trust right yeah passing over the one thing i struggle is passing over supplier relationships to someone else because what I do and I'm pretty good at it I, I, I think and I, I, I think it's one of the things that I can do well so to pass it off to someone else is a real hard thing for me to do also because I really enjoy it there, there's a balance of passing it off and figuring out what you enjoy yeah. in the, yeah. if you enjoy making coffee every day that's okay too yeah. oh yeah absolutely but you have to know if that's is it adding value yes is mm -hmm. it, are you could you be adding value more somewhere else 
And maybe if you love making coffee for everyone every day and that's what you love doing, maybe you should be a barista, honestly. And because if you love that, then that's great. But there are things that you can still have as part of your role that you, you know, your, your passions that you love, those jobs, not necessarily more the strategic things, but those jobs. And, you know, we try and do that with everyone that works for us, actually. You know, whatever role you've got, we try and have something else that's in there. That's enjoyable. That's, that's the other thing I have trouble passing off is menial tasks. Of like, I know every month I've got this job where I've got to change the category of every single line of 400 lines and there's no way to automate it that I've figured out yet. So I can't pass that off because it feels like a crappy thing to do to somebody. <laughs> and they're just going to leave eight outs because they hate their job. So I just keep on doing it. Got to pass that off. Yeah. But, it's, it's, but the, I think the point is it's not easy, right? No. But there are things that are easier than others. And I think having that list of things that you should be passing off and understanding where your time is best placed, like just even if it's just sitting down and writing that down and just these are all the things I do, where does it add the most value? And also what do I enjoy? And have that balance there. That's, it, it just needs to, I think it just needs to take some, you need to take some time and put some time aside to analyze what you do and, and work out what should go where. So we've heard lots of positivity here. I got to ask a negative question. What's something that happened that seemed like a dramatic failure or a huge roadblock? You guys are looking like there's been none. We're so lucky. I it's, can't even think of something that's been... Okay, that if it's, no, 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 it's like could, little stressors. It's, it's, that it's keep, death by a thousand cuts yeah, sometimes, right? Yeah, sometimes it's like staff problems or cash flow problems, but they're all little things that are like maybe resolved within a few days or weeks. Yeah, I, There's I nothing can, catastrophic that I can think no. of where we thought, I mean, other than the first few weeks of COVID, but that was everyone was in the same boat. I think that the two things, there's a couple of things that spring into mind. Again, they're not like these catastrophic things. There's nothing that we couldn't, we knew we couldn't work around, but the biggest stresses that have been is, um, and we're sort of out of that, thankfully now, but for the majority of the time, every summer when we started to have to order so much stuff, because when you get to, when you're not a startup anymore, that's when banks really hate you. Yeah. That's the reality of it, right? Yeah. If you're not big business and you're not a startup, no one really cares. Mm. And so, you know, we're trying to scale this company and grow it and it's growing significantly, but every summer we get this pinch where it was always when we'd be on vacation trying to take a vacation and suddenly we're right at the edge of our overdraft and we need money that's what we need and it's just so you know, again you'll have been through it's so stressful because where do you go you know you, you've got a you, you're making calls to the bank you're trying to move things around you're trying to do everything you can to make it work i mean the the, the good part of that is if that's not happening to you then you're probably not growing mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But it doesn't mean that it's not phenomenally stressful. So that's, that's one. I think the other thing is, is, is people. Like my favorite part of the job, more than anything else, is the people that we work with, both the, our, our employees and our suppliers. I, just, I, I love that. I love working with those people. The worst part about my job is the people. Because <laughs> when it's good, it's great, right? Yeah. When it's yeah. good, it's great. But when it's not, 
it absorbs everything. It takes everything up. It takes all of your, your mind space. It takes all of your stress. It, it's everything. It takes all of your time because whatever the issue is, it's got to be resolved. And resolving issues with people is much more difficult of, you know, to get this arranged for long-term and get long-term solutions than dealing with, say, a shipment or getting enough cash. You, you can yeah. get those corrected most of the time pretty quickly and easily. It's just a bit of stress at the time that it's happening. But the people thing can go on and on and on. And I think every single business owner will look for that, that there's those very occasional rare, rare weeks, maybe one or two weeks where there is not a single supplier or people problem and you just cherish and hold on to those knowing <laughs> knowing that one day That's soon during Christmas one yeah, day soon yeah. there will be something that drops in Someone. yeah <laughs> and that's going to happen right you got to take the bad with the good but i think you know like any, i think people you're all naturally you naturally focus on those things so yeah we try and have like we try and focus on all the good things that go on and we, we always try to keep those front of mind because a lot of the, the, the majority of what happens are good things, but it just takes those, that one bad thing to, to sort of wreck your day. And so, yeah, um, yeah. But, but, but there's been nothing significant, I don't think. The closest we got to being really worried was when we were trying to find a new location at this time. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Our lease was up at the end of March and we still hadn't found it was a the end of February. by December. Yeah, in December, we still hadn't found a place to move into. And we'd been looking for a long time. For two years. But we looking. had a pretty stringent list of what we wanted. Yeah, and we did not want to move up by the airport or way out east. Right. And we didn't want... We didn't we, need 50,000 square foot, which is the one place mm -hmm. we went to. And Yeah, it's yeah. a great per square foot, but it's 50,000 of them. <laughs> so, yeah. so quite a few coffee professionals listen to the podcast. Oh. If you had a piece of advice for them either for their career or they want to get into entrepreneurship? Is there something you could leave them with? One of the reasons that we started the business as well, we have a few core reasons, but it was to provide somewhere else for people who, were, who wanted to be coffee professionals or, or who were to do something with the industry but not be restricted to just to being a barista. And, and I nearly said Justin. I didn't mean it in that way, but... You know, if you want to grow your career, then there's very few places in the world that you can grow your career as a barista and develop. And there's only so many people you can have who are roasters. And so we wanted to provide, you know, or green buyers, but we wanted to provide something there where people who love the industry and love the coffee could still be in the industry and contribute to it and be part of the community and, you know, grow their career and earn a good wage and have great benefits and those type of things. So I think for coffee professionals, I'd, I'd just work, uh, the thing that I would say is work out where you want to be in the industry and be realistic with yourself. Because I think if you, if you want to be a barista and that's what you want to be, then there are going to be certain limitations that, that come along with that. You know, the, the, there's going to be caps of salaries and wages. That's just the reality of it. But I think, Plan out where you want to be in your career, like you would in any other industry if you wanted to progress. Plan out where you want to be and have those conversations with people. You know, if you want to truly want to be a roaster, then speak to everyone you can. Make the connections in the industry and, and 
learn as much as you can. There is this frustrating thing for me right now about, you know, about not having to really put the work in to get somewhere, this sort of you know, expectation that things should fall to people. Well, you know, I had to work my ass off for every single thing I've done. And Jen has done the same. And sometimes, yeah, you, you work over hours and you do those things because you, you've got to be head and, a, head and shoulders above other people. You want to be the first person that people point to and say, that's the person I want doing this job for me. Because there's thousands of people out there that want to do the really cool jobs in coffee. And you've got to stand out. And if you're not prepared to do that, don't be surprised when the person who did gets the job ahead of you. If it's strictly in the coffee area that you want to be in, then you talk to those type of people and you have those relationships. If it's, you know, associated businesses like Jen, Jen's and, and, and my business, then talk to those people. But you've got to work hard. So many people want to stay in the industry and be in it that you've got to show that you're going to do the jobs and work hard and be a valuable addition to that business. And you know, the, the final thing I'll say to that, which, which I would to any other in industry as well, is look at what you're earning or what you want to earn and then work out what you've got to give back to that business to justify that salary and some. Because, you know, you've, you've got to be able to give that back and more. Think about what you're wanting and what you're earning and what you have to contribute back to the business to make it worthwhile for them. Any small business owner, you or us, is going to want to support great people. But they are businesses and they've got to be successful. And if you don't want to put the work in, that's fine. But don't be surprised when other people get there first. That's a great answer. Jen? I think part of that too is, is coffee competitions. It's a lot of work to compete in coffee competitions. But what you get out of it is those contacts and those relationships and kind of elevating your career by getting your name out there and becoming known as somebody who works hard and is passionate about coffee and that puts you ahead of other people who maybe don't show that same passion. So I think, yeah, <laughs> competing is so, so, so much work and so much stress. And, but it can also be so much fun. And the friends that you make in the coffee community, I think that's a big reason why we love what we do is because of the coffee community and the competitions and the people that you meet. Okay, we got to talk about, it's, it's an answer we can transition to, work-life balance. Oh, so, <laughs> yeah. You guys live together, you're married, you have two kids, you're in the same business. Is there such thing as work-life balance? And two, how, how do you guys coexist so well together? I think we do have a rare thing that, that you and Jesse have as well, that you can work together and mm. live together and not. I think a lot of couples straight up couldn't do that. They need to have their separate time and their separate lives. And we just don't really have much separate things going on in our lives <laughs> but it works we have different skill sets we don't tread on each other's feet of what we do at work it's and we have the same we have the exact same vision of where we want the company to go and what we want it to be and what our values are we never differ about that we you know i always trust your opinion on products even when i think you know, who's going to buy a $300 digital scale? That's ridiculous. And then it becomes one of our biggest selling products. I trust you in those kind of decisions. You trust me in different things that I do with finances or the website and various things. So it's that trust and it's that shared vision. And we get along pretty well. <laughs> we do. I, I, I expand on what you said is we, 
we have our own roles within the business, but strategically we decide where it's going to go around with the consultation of our, our leadership team at the office. But we, we, don't, we don't tread on each other's toes. Mm-hmm. We, we go to each other for advice because we, sim- we have skills in each other's areas, so we, we lean on each other for that. Yeah, we, we also don't really mix work and relationship. I mean, obviously we're married, but you really probably wouldn't know that if you came in into the office for the most part. That doesn't mean we don't talk to each other, but there's, there's a time and a place, right? You know, so we, we have fun, we have, we have a good time, but we go to work to grow the business for us, for our customers and for our employees. That's what we do. And yeah, I think that's, that's been one of, the, one of the things, the major thing that's made this work. And with regards to work-life balance, the balance is more work. That's the way it is. And if you think it's going to be different when you're running a business, then probably don't want to start your own business because yeah. that's the way it is. It's, yeah? yeah, it's a lot. It's when we're making dinner together, we're talking about work. When we're in the car, we're talking about work. On the weekend, we're talking about work. We talk about it yeah. nonstop. But that's okay because we love what we do. Yeah. That's all right. If we hated what we did, and there's been times when you feel like you do sometimes, right? There is. Yeah. But when you... But if, if we didn't like it, then that would be a real issue. Now we, we spend, we do make, we have made sure we, we leave work earlier. So we leave work early now to spend more time with, with the kids and we always make, make time for them. But it, you know, when they, it used to be when they went to bed, we would be working until whatever hour, the, whatever hour of, of the night we needed to. And there's less of that now. There's a lot less of that, but it's still with the two kids, it, yeah, it's time, it, it's time. There's, there's no two ways about it, but you know it's a time of your, it's a time of your life to work, right? That's what you do. You you've got to put the hours in when you're building something. You've got to put the time in, and we wouldn't have the growth that we had, although we undersell it sometimes. I think we've had we've had phenomenal growth. To do that, it takes time and commitment. But there's nothing else to it. I mean, that's sort of it. Do you guys have a routine or anything to recharge? We did have more of a routine but over the past yeah covid is really over the past 12 18 months honestly we've been you sort of get close to burnout right on a few occasions you do and there's no point lying about that you get close to it and sometimes over that (laughs) edge just a little right but there's been i i do not complain with regards from a, a business perspective but that leads to other challenges, right? Being that busy and still having to struggle to try and get things in and, and make sure everyone is happy and in a good mental state at work and, and everyone is maintaining focus and everyone has time to relax and has time to try to make all those things work as well as deal with the challenges of, you know, the pandemic with the kids and at home and with family and with everything else. It, it It's, it's difficult. But, you know, again, luckily we have, we have a really good relationship. We, we very rarely disagree about everything. And when we do, I'm right. And so that, <laughs> as long as we all agree with that, then that. <laughs> uh, there's that salesman. <laughs> Fortunately, we have a relationship. And I, I know that Jen mentioned it's, it's the same with, I'm sure it's the same with you and you and Jess, you work together well. Yeah. I think, I, I think it's what you're saying. It's you have to focus on different sides of the business. That same thing at home. We're cooking dinner and we're talking about work. Mm-hmm. splitting it up is I think the key part to it. And then I don't know, some people just the emotions of work, like tread over everything. And uh, yeah. we don't, we don't have that issue. And I think you guys obviously don't. And yeah, 
Yeah, it works well. I remember we went for dinner before COVID and we said to ourselves at the beginning of the meal, let's not talk about work or the kids. And we sat there like just in silence and laughing and being now, like, now you uh, would talk about COVID. Yeah. Now we talk about COVID, but <laughs> we talked company about kids, politics. COVID. That's it. <laughs> yeah. No, it was no politics, no kids, no work. They can't talk not about politics though. Like, I, know, that's the I, other thing I like we politics. We're going to talk about that. Yeah. It's um, all stressful topics, isn't it? What, what's the future of eight ounce? What's the next five years look like? There's a lot of things on the go right now. I'm not sure which ones we can talk about, which we can't. So I'll kind of glaze over. Um, one thing we can talk about is uh, we, we sell a lot of lifestyle products as a byproduct of buying coffee equipment from certain suppliers. So for example, Kinto and Herio, we buy, we bring those products in because they have a lot of amazing coffee equipment, but they also have a lot of beautiful- They have more other stuff than Bowls and dishes and flower vases and things like that. So we have a lot of this stuff and we don't sell anywhere near as much of it as we could because we're eight ounce coffee. Why are you going to come to us for a plant pot? So- (laughs) You want to go coffee plants. I mean, that's supposed to be- So that's a new side of the business that we really want to put some effort into and invigorate and kind of make it something under the umbrella of eight ounce and grow. But it won't be called eight ounce. No, probably not. Yeah, probably not. So yeah, that's something. And we also have a couple of new lines coming in that are on their way now, or probably sitting at a port somewhere waiting to get on a boat, that are exclusively lifestyle brands and maybe one product of coffee. Those Can would be things that you those? use in your life. Oh. Is that what you're asking? <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> but like the, it's plates, it's bowls, it's cups, it's salad bowls and tongs and lemon squeezers and lunch boxes and things like that that are kind of parallel to what we sell, but not. But all still the under thing. the same values that we have. Mm-hmm. So it's just not going to be, frankly, cheap shit. It, mm. It's stuff that we would use that we love that has. You know, one of our core values is only the best. So in this case, only the best products. And we, we, have, to, we have to make sure whatever we bring in falls into that category in one way or another. Because if it doesn't, then we shouldn't be selling it. There's a lot of crossover as well. We, you know, when we go around visiting cafes across Canada, we see that there's this big change to um, like the gastro side of it, like really elevated food in a cafe, kind of Australian style where you go and you get your coffee and you also get this beautiful bowl with a beautifully presented salad or whatever like that's happening a lot too so it's not it's less of the ikea plates that your pastry is coming on and something from kinto or something that's more beautiful and part of the experience so that side of the business is growing as well which for me is also exciting because then it leads to that well if you're serving your food on this you can also sell this as well yeah. But if you've selected the right things, then you can sell them as well. And those businesses can make more money. So that's, that's one of the things that we want, want to happen, right? Then we have brand and we have a company which we started for uh, a new line of coffee products, which we had on pause for a year for trying to find manufacturers in North America. Funny story. No one wants to make anything in North America. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> except pipelines yeah Don't except pipelines. pipelines uh and making things great 
Did they want to do that? As well? <laughs> um, but apparently not steam pitches. So, no. <laughs> uh, but so we've been working on that, and that will be that has been really delayed. Not just from me trying to find better manufacturers that we wanted for that, but also just from COVID and trying to communicate and get designs right and get things correct. And we the, the branding is amazing. Uh, we work with uh, Banff, who are a company out of, of Calgary. So that will all that will all be around soon. Um, Do you have a launch date or not yet? It's it's literally it, we, we just can't. We just don't know when manufacturing will be completed because of consistent delays. We don't know when logistics will be complete. We you don't probably know. have a launch date once it's actually on a boat yeah. on its way. So that brand is called Super Good, it and is. that's going to be a whole line of steaming pitchers, tampers, pack mats, just, tools for yeah. behind the bar. And why? I hear you ask. Well, why we get to? Uh, oh, thank you. It's an <laughs> insightful question. Uh, the <laughs> the reason is we get to test everything, and it's sometimes frustrating for us when people dismiss things that we know. It's like this product is amazing. If only they'd done this, or why did they not do this? So starting, frankly, from basics allows us to just cure some very simple things, which we know that people will like uh, and will be useful in a cafe environment, as well as from a retail perspective. We're trying not to put things out. There will, of course, be one or two things, but we're trying to make sure that when we make a product, there's a reason. There's a reason why we've done it. And even if you can't see why it's different, that there's going to be a reason why we've made something subtly different or slightly different to, Im- to improve um, functionality or sometimes just aesthetic. So that's, that's sort of fundamentally what we're doing with that business to start with, and that will grow from there. And then we have another couple of things we're working on, which we can't really talk about right we now. We can't talk about, but it's going to be our first ever partnership with someone who's not. Well, oh, wow. Us. Yeah. Oh, wow. When so we'll we see how that goes that? down. <laughs> it's going to be great. <laughs> no, we good. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of things on the go. So where can people find you guys online? 8OunceCoffee.ca for retail. If you're a wholesale customer, it's wholesale.8OunceCoffee.ca. It's on the World Wide Web. Internet, super highway. Yeah. You can probably find it through a hyperlink somewhere. Mm-hmm. You got an Instagram, Twitter. You got Snapchat. 8 ounce Coffee on Instagram. That's we have a, we do have a YouTube channel as well. So mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. There's, um, we're definitely trying to put more and more content or valuable content onto there there's more there's i think we have a video every week mm-hmm. that goes yeah up to really it. interesting different like looking at different products or trying different brew methods and yeah you can find us on instagram and um we yeah pretty much everything in okay thanks team appreciate it thanks always for a us, pleasure Dave. to speak to you thanks yeah, for fun. inviting us hey friends thanks for listening to by the drip If you could please subscribe, rate, and give us a comment, that'd mean the world to us. Till next time.